Chapter Three of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At court, two months after Wolf had gone down to Steyning, one of Harold's men brought a short letter from the Earl himself. I am glad to hear, Wolf, it began, from my steward Egbert, that you are applying yourself so heartily to your work. I have also good accounts of you from the prior of Bramber, who sometimes writes to me. He is a good and wise man, as well as a learned one, and I am right glad to hear that you are spending your time so well. I told you that you should hear if there was any alteration in your affair. Some change was made soon as you had left, for, two days later, meeting William of London in the presence of the King, I told him that I had inquired further into the matter, and had found that you were by no means the aggressor in the quarrel with young Fitzurse, for that he had fingered his dagger, and would doubtless have drawn it had there not been many bystanders. I also said that with all respect to the bishop, it would have been better if he had not inclined his ears solely to the tale of his page, and that under the circumstances it was scarcely wonderful, being but a boy, you had defended yourself when you were, as you deemed, unjustly accused. The prelate sent at once for his page, who stoutly denied that he had touched the hilt of his dagger. But I too had sent for Ulred the armourer, and he brought with him a gossip who had been present. I asked the king's permission to introduce them, and they entirely confirmed your story. Fitzurse exclaimed that it was a Saxon plot to do him harm, and I could see the bishop was of the same opinion, but the king, who is ever anxious to do justice, declared at once that he was sure that the two craftsmen were but speaking the truth. He sternly rebuked Fitzurse as a liar, and signified to the bishop that he would do well to punish him severely by sending him back to Normandy, for that he would not tolerate his presence at court an order which the bishop obeyed with very bad grace, but at any rate the lad was sent away by ship a week later. After the bishop had led the audience chamber, the king said that he was afraid he had acted with harshness to you, and it seemed that the fault was by no means wholly on your side, and that I could at once recall you if I wished to do so. I thanked his majesty dutifully, but said I thought it were best in all ways that for a time you should remain away from court. In the first place you deserve some punishment for your want of respect for the bishop, to whom you should have submitted yourself, even if you had thought him unjust. In the second place, as Fitzurse had been sent away, it would create an animosity against you on the part of his countrymen at court were you to reappear at once. And lastly, that I considered it would be to your benefit to pass at least some months on your estates, learning your duties as thane, and making the acquaintance of your people. Therefore I wish you to continue at staining. It will assuredly be pleasant to know that you are no longer to be considered as being there in consequence of having fallen under the king's displeasure, but simply because it is my wish that you should for a time dwell among your people and fit yourself to be a wise lord to them. Wolf was much pleased at the receipt of this letter partly because the fact that he had been sent away in disgrace stung him, and he had felt obliged frankly to acknowledge to the neighbouring thanes that he had been sent down on account of a quarrel with a Norman page, but chiefly because it showed the kindly interest that Harold felt in him, 
and although absent he had still thought of him. It was nigh ten months before he heard again. During that time he had grown a good deal, and although he would never be tall, his frame had so widened out that it was evident that he would grow into an exceptionally powerful man. At sixteen he was still a boy, and although his position at Staining, where, although under the normal tutelage of the Earl's steward, he was practically lord and master, accustomed to play the part of host within its walls, and that of a feudal lord over a wide estates, had given him the habits of authority, and the bearing of one who respected himself. The merry expression of his face, aided by a slight upward turn of his nose, showed that in other respects he was unchanged. He had learned with his weapons all that Leof could teach him. He could wield a light battle-axe, and with his sword could turn aside, or sever an arrow, however sharply shot at him, provided that he had time to mark its flight. With a quarter-staff he was a match for any youth on the estate, and he could hurl a dart with unerring aim. Osgod had sprung up into a powerful young fellow, taller than his master by well-nigh a head, and his equal in exercises requiring strength rather than quickness and skill. His duties at table had been delegated to another, for there was a certain clumsiness in Osgod's strength that no teaching could correct, and in his eagerness to serve his master he so frequently spilled the contents of a cup or upset a platter that even Egbert acknowledged that it was hopeless to attempt to make a skilful servitor of him. The Earl's second letter contained only the words, Come up to London as soon as you receive this. Leave Egbert in charge of everything as before. Although the time had not seemed long, and his occupations were so varied that he had never felt dull since he had come down, Wolf was delighted to receive the summons. He had unconsciously to himself began to feel restless, and to wonder whether Earl Harold had altogether forgotten his existence. "'We are going back to London, Osgod,' he shouted. "'I am right glad of it,' the young giant said, stretching his arms lazily. "'I am grievously tired of the country, and had it not been that nothing would induce me to leave your service, I have thought sometimes that I would gladly be back again in my father's smithy, hammering away on a hot iron. I used to think it would be the grandest thing possible to have nothing to do, but I have found that one can have too much of a good thing. Certainly I am glad to be going back, but I am not sure whether it won't be worse at court than it is here. Perhaps we may not be staying there, Wolf said encouragingly. Maybe the Earl is going to start on some expedition, though we have heard of no trouble either in the north or in Wales. But even if I stay at court, Osgod, you will often be able to be away and can spend some hours a day at the smithy, where, if you like, you can take off your smock and belabour iron to your heart's content. I should say you would be a rare help to your father, for as Leof says, for a downright solid blow there are not many men who could surpass you. Osgood laughed. Leof has not forgiven that blow I dealt him a month ago, when I flattened his helmet with my blunted axe and stretched him senseless on the ground. In faith I meant not to hit so hard, but he had been taunting me with my slowness, and seeing an opening for a blow at his head I could not resist it, and struck, as he was always telling me to do so, quickly. You well nigh killed him, Wolf said, shaking his head. He has not taken an axe in his hand since, at least not with either of us. He said to me the first time I invited him to a bout, 
it was high time a man should give up teaching when he came to be struck senseless by a boy not much of a boy osgod replied seeing that i stand over six feet high and got my muscles hardened early at the forge however he bears me no ill will all he ever said to me on the matter was i am glad to see that you can shake off your sluggishness sometimes osgod i should have been less earnest in my advice to you to strike more quickly if i had thought you were going to do it at my expense keep those blows for your master's enemies lad if you deal them to his friends you will lessen their number have my horse brought round at once osgod have the wallets packed and be ready to start in an hour's time i cannot go without riding over to say good-bye to the prior and some of the monks do you when you have packed follow me it is not greatly out of the way and i shall meet you on the road a short half-hour will suffice for me there so harold has sent for you wulf the prior said when the young thane told him that he was on the point of starting for london tis well come back when you may you will now be fit to rule at staining and to rule well but i foresee that we are likely to have you but seldom down here you are in good train to rise high amongst englishmen you already possess the favour of earl harold who is in all respects but name king of england you possess far more learning than most young men of your rank and as harold rightly thinks much of such knowledge you are likely if you live to learn more but better than this so far as your prospects are concerned in the troubled times that may be coming you are quick-witted and ready i hear that you are already very proficient in arms and a match for most grown men best of all so far as your future happiness is concerned you have a kind heart and a good disposition you could scarce be a page of earl harold's and not be a true englishman and patriot therefore my son i think i can predict a bright and honourable future for you if harold lives and reigns king of england be steadfast and firm lad act ever in what your heart tells you is the right be neither hasty nor quarrelsome but he broke off with a smile you have had one lesson that way already now i will detain you no longer pax vobiscum may god keep and guard you if opportunity offer and a messenger comes this way write me a few lines news of you will always be welcome at bramber leaving the prior Wulf paid a hurried visit to the chambers where monks were engaged in their various avocations, and then started at a canter and met Osgod coming along with a sumpter horse carrying the wallets, a store of provisions for the way, and Wulf's arms and armour fastened to the crupper of his saddle. "'You've done well, Osgod,' Wulf said as he turned his horse, and at a quieter pace proceeded beside him. I forgot to give you any directions or speak to you about your bringing a pack-horse with you, but I am glad you thought of it, for our steeds would have been heavily burdened had all that baggage been divided between them. We go back more heavily laden than we came, Osgod remarked. My wardrobe was then of the scantiest, and your own has been considerably added to since we came here. Truly, Wolf, I feel that I have changed mightily in this year and can scarce believe that it is but twelve months back since I flung down my hammer and started on my tramp to Guildford, with a change of clothes dangling from the end of my cudgel. I was glad when you and your party overtook me, for I was badly scared once or twice when I met a rough fellow or two on the way, though fortunately they did not see me worth robbing. We could give a good account of four or five such knaves now. 
there has been a change indeed osgood and in me as much as in you though i have not shot up into such huge proportions i was a page then and had learned but to obey i am a boy still but i have begun to learn to rule at any rate to rule myself i have not conquered my fault of hastiness altogether osgod smiled broadly you are quick in temper still wulf you remember it was but yesterday that you rated me soundly because i had fed your hawks early and they were too lazy to fly when you wanted them well it was annoying wulf laughed and you deserved rating since you have been told over and over again that the hawks were not to be fed early in the morning besides the rating did you no harm none at all master i know that you mean not what you say and hard words break no bones i should have thought no more of it had you yourself not remarked that you were still somewhat hasty of temper i was wrong osgod wulf said holding out his hand but you know that i love you and that though your carelessness and forgetfulness chafe me sorely at times i mean not what i say i know it master and i would not have you other than you are i suppose it is the thickness of my skull that prevents me from taking in all that i am told and perhaps if i had more to do i might do it better i should be able to play my part when it comes to hard blows and you must remember that no one can excel in all things a staghound is trusty and sure when on the chase but he could not be taught to fetch and carry and to perform all sorts of tricks as were done by the little mongrel cur that danced to the order of the mountebank the other evening my father always said i was a fool and that though for a piece of rough hammering i was no means amiss i should never learn the real intricacies of repairing fine armour everything has its good you see master wolf for had my father thought better of me in his trade i doubt he would have ever given me leave to quit and go as your man i have no doubt that that is so osgod and heartily glad am i that you showed no genius for smith's work nature evidently intended you to damage casks and armour rather than repair them you have not got all my clothes with you he added as he looked around at the lead horse no indeed wulf osgod said nor a quarter of them for in truth your wardrobe has grown prodigiously since we came here i had to talk it over with egbert having but little faith in my own wits he advised me to take the two suits that were most fitted for court saying that if he heard you were going to remain there he would send the rest in charge of a couple of well-armed men that is the best plan doubtless wulf agreed my hawking suit and some of the others would be useless to me at court and would have been a folly to have burdened ourselves with them if we were likely to return hither shortly where shall we stop to-night osgod asks at the monastery of the grey friars where we put up on our way from london it will not be a long ride but we started late to-morrow we shall of course make a long day's journey to guildford i don't know what travellers would do were it not for the priories sleep in the woods wolf and be none the worse for it for myself i would rather lie on the sward with a blazing fire and the greenwood overhead and sleep on the cold stones in a monk's kitchen especially if it had happened to be a fast day and one had gone to rest on a well-nigh empty stomach it's never as bad as that wolf laughed as a rule however much the monks may fast they certainly entertain their guests well if it's an english monastery they do osgod admitted but not where there is a norman prior with his new-fangled notions and his vigils and fasts and flagellations if i ever become a monk which i trust is not likely 
I will take care to enter a Saxon house, where a man may laugh without its being held to be a deadly sin, and can sleep honestly without being wakened up half a dozen times by the chapel bell. You would assuredly make but a bad monk, Osgod, and come what will, I do not think you will ever take to that vocation. But let us urge on our horses to a better pace, or the kitchen will be closed, and there will be but poor chance of supper when we reach the priory. Well, Osgod, Wolf asked the next morning as they rode on their way, how did you fare last night? Well enough as to the eating, there was a haunch of cold venison that a king couldn't have grumbled at but truly my bones ache now with the hardness of my couch. Couch, there was but the barest handful of rushes on the cold stone floor, and I woke a score of times, feeling as if my bones were coming through the skin. You have been spoilt, Osgod, by a year of sleeping softly. I marked more than once how thickly the rushes were strewn in that corner which you always slept. How will it be when you have to stand the hardships of a soldier's life? I can sleep well on the ground with my cloak round me, Osgood said steadily, and if the place be hard you have but to take up a sod from under your hip-bone and another under your shoulder, and you need not envy one who sleeps on a straw bed. As to cold and wet, I have never tried sleeping out of doors, but I do not doubt that I can stand it as well as another. As to eating and drinking, they say that Earl Harold always looks closely after his men and holds that if soldiers are to fight well they must be fed well at any rate master wolf i shall be better off than you will for i have never been accustomed as you have to such luxuries as a straw bed and i doubt whether you ever went hungry to bed as i have done many and many a time for in the days when my father hoped to make an armourer of me i was sent off supperless whenever i bungled a job or neglected his instructions I wonder what the Earl can want for you in such haste. I do not suppose he wants me in any haste at all. He may have spoken to the King about me, and when Edward again spoke of my returning, he would simply send for me to come at once. Such indeed proved to be the case. When he waited on Harold as soon as he arrived, the latter held out his hand. I am glad to see you back again, Wolf. A year of country air and exercise has done wonders for you. I know you're not as tall as you might be. You have truly widened out into fair proportions, and should be able to swing a battle-axe of full weight. Thinking it was time for you to return here, I spoke to the king, who was in high good humour, for he had been mightily pleased that morning at some figures the monks have wrought in stone for the adornment of his church of St. Peter. Therefore he not only consented to your return, but chided me gently for not having called you up to town before. The matter had altogether slipped my mind, he said. I told you that he might return directly it was shown that it was the bishop's page who was at fault, and from that day I have never thought of it. I told the king that I had purposely kept silence, for I thought the day had come when you should learn your duties down there, instead of dawdling away your time at court. You need not put on a page's attire any more. You will remain here as my ward and I have had so good an account from the good prior of Bramber that in a short time I should be able to receive your oath as Thane of Staining. You will attend me to court this evening as one of my gentlemen, and I will then present you to the King, whom it is well that you should thank for having pardoned you. I hear from the prior that the varlet you took down with you has grown into a big man, and is well nigh as tall as I am already. He must have lodging with my followers while you are here. 
Finding he was to remain for the present at Westminster, Wulf sent off a messenger at once to request Egbert to forward the rest of his clothes immediately. That evening the earl took him into a chamber where the king was seated, surrounded by a few of his favourites. "'This is Wulf of Staining, my lord king,' Harold said. "'The youth who was unfortunate enough to incur your royal displeasure a year since, and who has upon your order returned from his estates. I have had excellent accounts of him from my good friend the prior of Bramber, who speaks well alike of his love of study and his attention to the affairs of his estate. I have also heard from other hands of his progress in military exercises, and that he bids fair to become a valiant and skilful soldier of your majesty. He has prayed me to express his thanks to your majesty for having pardoned him, and having authorised me to enrol him again in the ranks of my followers here. The king nodded pleasantly in answer to the deep bow that Wolf made. I was somewhat hasty in your matter, he said graciously, and dealt out somewhat hard measure to you. But doubtless, as Earl Harold said, your stay in the country has been for your good, and I am glad to hear that the worthy prior of Bramber speaks so well of you. The earl gave a little nod to Wulf, and the latter, gathering that his case was concluded, and that he could now go at once, retired with another deep obeisance. Leaving the palace, he made his way to the armourers, whither he had sent Osgood as soon as they arrived. The smith doffed his cap as he entered. I am right glad to see you back again, young master. My son gave me a rare surprise, for truly when he walked in, I did not know him again. Not having him in my thoughts or having heard of his arrival, the varlet saw that I did not know him, and said, Canst mend me a broken dagger, Master Armourer? That I can, I answered, and would have said more when a laugh came from his great mouth that well nigh shook the house, and I knew that it was my son, though the note was deeper than his used to be, and was, I told him, more like the bellow of a bull than the laugh of a young fellow of eighteen. His mother looked in from behind the shop and said, Surely that must have been Osgood's laugh. It was, I said, and there he stands before you. The impudent rascal has topped me over by half a head, though I am a fair height myself. Then she carried him away, and I saw no more of him until I had finished my work. Since supper he has been telling me somewhat of what he has been doing down with you, which, as far as I can learn, amounts to nothing, save the exercising of his arms and the devouring of victuals except that he could not bring that long body and those loose arms of his to offer me a cup or a platter without risk to my garments, and even Egbert was forced to agree that he should never make a courtly servant of him. But save in that matter, Osgood has got on right well. He has always been ready when I wanted him, and prepared at once to start with me either on foot or horseback whenever I wished to go out. He is growing into a mighty man-at-arms, and well-nigh broke the skull as well as the cask of the captain and teacher of my house-carls. Another two years, if he goes on as he has done, and we go into battle again, no thane in the land will have a stouter bodyguard. Are you going to stay in London, Master Wolf? Yes, that is, while the Earl is here. When he's away hunting or attending to the affairs of state, I suppose I shall go with him. Osgod, of course, will go with me. While here I shall have but little use for his services, and he can be at home most part of the day. Then I trust you will soon be off, the smith said bluntly, for to have a youth six feet and a hand in height hanging about doing nothing 
would set all the men thinking it well that they should too be idle. Osgood was always ready enough for a talk, though I do not say he could not work when it was necessary, but now that he is in your worship's service and under no orders of mine, his tongue will never cease wagging. Oh, I am ready to work a bit, father. I know how long it took me to hammer out a bar before, and I should be curious to find out what time I can do it now. I doubt you will spoil more than you make, Osgod. Still, I too shall be curious to see how many strokes you can give with a big hammer, and how quickly you can beat a bar into a blade. The stay in town was, however, of short duration, for four days later the Earl told him that he was going down to his house at Bosham, and that he was to accompany him. "'Tis three months since I was away from London,' he said. "'The King is going down to Hereford to hunt, and I am therefore free for a while, as there are no matters of state that press at present, though I fear ere long the Welsh will be up again. I hear that their King Griffith, not content with the beating he had a short time since, is again preparing for war. Still, it may be some time before the storm bursts, and I am longing to be down again among the green woods or afloat on the water. Harold took with him a large party of personal friends, his brother Wolfnoth and his nephew Hakon. Among the party was Beorn, a young thane who also was a ward of the Earl. He was two years older than Wolf, but there had been a close friendship between them at Edward's court. Shortly after Wolf's departure, Beorn had also been sent by the Earl to his estates in Hampshire, and had been recalled at the same time. Beorn was far less strong and active than Wolf, having been very weakly during the early years of his life. Nor had he the same advantages of education, as he only became Harold's ward a year after Wolf was installed as a page at Westminster. He was a youth of good and generous disposition, and looked with feelings of admiration upon the strength and skill in arms of the younger lad, and especially at his power of reading. I can never be like you there, Wolf, he would say, but I hope I may some day grow as strong as you and as skilful in arms. Beyond stay in the country had done much for him. His thin, tall frame had filled out, and there was a healthy colour on his cheek. He had practised diligently at military exercises, and although he found when on the first day, after Wolf's arrival in London, he challenged him to a trial in arms, he was still very greatly his inferior in skill and strength, and he bade fair to become a gallant fighter. "'It's a disappointment to me, Wolf,' he said, as he picked up the battle-axe that had been struck from his hand and sent flying across the hall by a sweeping blow of Wolf's weapon. "'I have really worked hard, and I did think that I ought to have caught you up, seeing that I am two years the elder. But you have gained more than I have. I did as well as the other youths who were taught with me by the house Carl Harold sent down with me, but I am sure I shall never be as quick or as hit as strongly as you do. Oh, yes, you will, Bjorn. Age is nothing. You see, you were sick and ailing till you were fifteen years old, so those years counted for nothing, and instead of being two years older than I am, you are many years younger. In another four or five years you will come to your full strength and will be able to strike a far heavier blow than I can now. Although I do not say heavier than I might be able to do then, as you are neither so wide nor so deep-chested as I am. But what does it matter? One only fights sometimes. You have other advantages. You are gentler in speech and manner, and have a handsome face. When we were pages together, the bower maidens of the Queen 
always made much of you, while they called me impudent and would give me many a slap on the cheek. Well, you deserved it richly, Wolf, for you are always playing tricks upon them, hiding their distaffs or tangling their thread, and giving them pert answers when they wanted you to do their errands. Well, I hope we shall always be great friends, Wolf. Your estates lie not far from mine, and although we can scarce be called neighbours, we shall be within a day's ride of each other, and I trust that we shall fight together under the good earl, and then spend our time at each other's houses, and hunt and feast together. I hope we shall be much together beyond, Wolf said warmly, and that we shall be sworn friends, but as for feasting, I care little for it. We Saxon thanes are too fond both of food and wine cup, and though I am no monk, I would that our customs could be altered. I hate foreigners, but their ways are in many respects better than ours. The Normans, it is true, may not be much better than we are, but then they are but Northmen, a little civilised. But I have heard the Earl say that the French, and still more the Italians, are vastly ahead of us in all arts, and bear themselves with a courtesy and gentleness to each other that puts to shame our rough manners. We should be neither happier nor better than I can see, Wolf, did we adopt the manners of these Italians you speak of, instead of our own. Perhaps not beyond, but we should be able to make the people happier and better if we could raise them. I will not even grant that, Wolf. Think you that the smith and the shepherd and the bow-maker and the weaver would be any the happier could they read or even write than they are as sing Saxon songs over their work? I should like to be able to read, because Harold thinks much of it. But except for that, I cannot see that it would do me much good. If the king makes me any further grant of land, it will doubtless be properly made out, and I can get a clerk or a monk to read it to me. My steward will keep the tallies of the tenants' payments. I can learn the history of our forefathers as well from the songs and tales of the gleeman as from books. You are as bad as my man Osgod, Wolf said indignantly. Well, you need not get hot about it, good Wolf, Bjorn laughed. When you come to see me, I will have Gleeman sing the deeds of our fathers to you. When I come to see you, I will sit as mum as a mouse while you read to me from some monk's missal. I will force you to neither eat nor drink more than it pleases you, and you shall give me as much to eat and drink as it pleases me. Then we shall both be well satisfied. As for your man, Osgod, I wish I had such a fellow. He will be well nigh a giant one of these days, and in strength may come to rival the Earl, who is said to be the strongest man on English soil. He's a good fellow, Bjorn, and I could wish for no better to hold a shield over me in the day of battle, or to stand back to back with me in a hand-to-hand -hand fight. You should get him to stand in front of you, Bjorn laughed. He would be a rare screen against arrows and javelins. The friends were well pleased when they heard they were both to accompany Harold to Bosham which is one of the favourite abodes of the Earls of Wessex. It had originally been built as a hunting seat, but Godwin had grown to love the place with its woods extending for miles back and its quiet landlocked harbour, and additions had been made until it had grown to be, in point of size at least, a residence worthy of the great Earls, and Harold preferred it to any of the many mansions belonging to him. It was a large and gay party that rode down the road through the quiet woods of Surrey and Sussex. They put up each night at the houses of Thanes, where, as notice had been sent of their coming, they were royally entertained, and those selected were proud to afford hospitality to the Earl. For a week they stayed at Bosham, hunting in the forests, going off in parties under the guidance of the foresters, 
some who cared not for hard labour hunting in the woods between Bosham and the hills, while others went far inland into the weald, which was for the most part covered by a great forest, but with a few scattered hamlets here and there. Smoke rising among the trees showed where the charcoal burners were at work, or where the furnaces were glowing, converting the ore into the tough iron that furnished arms and armour for the great portion of the men of the south. At the end of the week the earl announced to his guests that he had provided a new diversion for them. "'You see those three ships in the harbour,' he said. "'They were brought here last night, and three hundred men have been at work all day, preparing them for our reception. I propose that we all embark with our dogs and servants, and sail along the coast, landing where we please and taking our sport. As we sail eastward there are abundant forests, and the game is far more plentiful than here.' and our trip will partake of the character of an adventure, in thus dropping down upon unknown places. Tents have been stored on board the vessels, with abundance of good cheer of all kinds, so that we can establish ourselves where we will, and sleep on the shore instead of rocking uneasily on the waves. The proposal was received with acclamation, and the following morning the whole party embarked upon the three ships. The largest was occupied by Harold himself, his brother and nephew, and six or seven of his principal thanes. In this craft, too, went Wolf and Bjorn with their men. On issuing from the harbour, the ship's heads were turned to the east. The wind was light and fitful. The sails, therefore, were not loosed, and they proceeded under oars. There was but little tide until they reached the extremity of the long point of Selsey, past which they were hurried at great speed by the rapid current. Rowing closer inshore, they got into quieter water, and continued their way until the tide turned, when they anchored and, landing with their dogs, hunted in the woods for some hours. On their return to the seashore, they found the tents erected and supper prepared, and the sport having been good, they remained another day. The tide took them the next day past the shore of Wolf's estate, and he begged the earl to land there and to pass a day or two with his company in Staining. But all were bent upon the chase, and they kept on until they reached the point where the white cliffs began to rise from the edge of the water. Here they landed again, and spent two or three days in hunting. Neither Wolf nor Bjorn had been to sea before, and the quiet motion of the ships with their bellying sails and banks of sturdy oarsmen delighted them. There had been scarcely any motion, and neither had felt the qualms which they had been warned were generally experienced for a while by those who went upon the sea for the first time. When the journey was resumed, Wolf was struck with surprise and almost awe by the mighty cliffs that rose up from the water's edge. Neither he nor Bjorn had seen anything like this, for although both their estates bordered the sea, the shores were flat, and vessels, if need be, could be hauled up on shore. "'What would happen if a gale were to burst upon us here?' Wolf said to his companion. If the waves were to dash us against those white rocks, the ships would be broken up like eggshells. Your question is answered, said Bjorn, as a bay suddenly opened to their sight. You see, we are going in here, and we shall anchor snugly somewhere up this river in front of us, which is truly the best haven we have seen since we left Bosham. Half an hour later the vessels were moored to the bank, close to a wooden bridge which spanned the little river. End of chapter 3